Shall we, um, shall we do our Bible reading for today? Uh, it's going to come up on the screen, but if you've got a Bible, if you've got an app on your phone, you can turn to it. It's Revelation 21 and verses 1 to 5. Let's read together. No, no one moved to pick up a phone or a Bible. So why would you? We've paid for a big screen. Then, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who has seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please would you welcome Gareth Harper as he comes to speak to us this morning. Thanks, Matt. Whoa, Retro Sunday's in full swing, ladies and gentlemen. Whoa, I've got my WWJD bracelet on. If you're new and this is like the first time you've ever tried church and you're like, what are this lot on about? Bear with us. Bear with us. Um, but it's so good to sing some of those, you know, old school worship bangers. Um, water wall bangers. Thank you, worship crew. Um, and I'm really sorry. If you are offended by our designation of things in the mid-noughties as retro, I'm totally with you. I'm really sorry. If you're here and you're like, where are the songs from before 1800? Then it'll be truly retro. Crown him with many... No, it's fine. Um, but as with many good things, as Matt has already pointed out, as with many good things at Bay Church, we started with the funny idea, and then we worked backwards to the rationale and the reasoning. We thought, why not bust out a load of classic worship songs that we haven't sung for a while? We started with that, and then we thought, actually, that might be a perfect thing to do on that weird little Sunday that we've got that will fall between the end of August and term starting again, where summer has finished, but autumn hasn't quite started, where the kids are done with the summer holidays, but my daughter doesn't go back to school till Wednesday, and we're in just this weird little in-between time. Like Matt said, there's so much exciting stuff coming up this term, Vision Sunday, Giving Sunday. We're really excited for all that God's going to be taking us into in the next couple of months. Um, but before we move forwards, in this weird in-between time, on this weird little in-between Sunday, I thought it'd be good to take a moment to pause and to think about time. Before we look forwards, let's take a moment to zoom right out and try and locate ourselves in the grand sweep of history, what the Bible says about where we've come from, where we're going, where we find ourselves now. When I was 18, I'd been a follower of Jesus for about sort of eight or nine months. I used to wear quite a lot of these wristbands at that time. Um, and I moved away to university. And there was one particular Sunday in my first year of university where I got up early. I tiptoed out the doors, I usually did, so as to not wake up my sleeping housemates as I went off to church. And I hadn't been going to this church for very long, but there was a bit at the front, kind of down here, where all the students sat together. And so when I arrived at church, I just sort of confidently strode down the, strolled, strode? I walked straight down the middle aisle and sat at the front. 
But on this occasion, a lot of people kind of, as I walked down the middle of the aisle, a lot of people sort of turned their heads to look at me. And I thought, that's weird. Doesn't normally happen. And oddly, the service had already kind of, I think it had already started as well. In fact, as I sat down, the service seemed to be ending. They were praying like a final blessing. And then it dawned on me that the clocks had changed that Sunday. And I had no idea that that was a thing. I didn't have my mum to tell me that you need to change the clocks, Gareth. And so I'd arrived an hour late for an hour-long church service, confidently walked down the center aisle, sat at the front just to quite rightly get all the banter of everybody else in the church later on. But for that hour, I had absolutely no idea what time it was. No idea. And it was actually a really disconcerting feeling to sit down and be like, oh, I'm, I'm wrong about what time it is. So wrong about what time it is. It's a really disconcerting thing when we don't know what the time is. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had the feeling when you kind of accidentally, hypothetically, I've never done this, of course, hypothetically take like a an accidental nap in the middle of the afternoon and you wake up and it's like dark outside now and you're like, wait, what year is it? Who's the president? What's going on? There's actually um, a medical condition called dyschronometria uh, where, that's, that's your new word for the day, dyschronometria, um, where part of the brain is damaged and you're no longer able to accurately estimate the amount of time that has passed. You can't locate yourself in time anymore. And I wonder sometimes, just like I kind of had lost my anchoring in time, if sometimes we we can have, in our Western consumerist culture, we can have a sort of subtle, low-level collective dyschronometria, where we can't quite tell where we are in time. My ancestors basically would have gone to bed when the sun went down. Me? I've got electric lights, baby. I can go to bed whenever I want to. Can't do nothing about it, body. Um, If I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't sleep, I can just put a bright, shining light in my face that has access to potentially all of the world's information, and that should help, right? I can buy strawberries anytime I want. November, strawberries. June, strawberries. I don't know when you're supposed to even harvest strawberries. I don't need to know. Now, not everything about the modern world is bad, but these things do desensitize us to the changes and rhythms of the world that we live in. And so we find it harder and harder to locate ourselves in time. And the ramifications of that can be pretty unsettling, but really subtle. Our very own uh, Bishop of Exeter, Robert Atwell, he's about to retire in a couple of weeks' time, but he puts the problem like this in a book he wrote in the late 90s. He says, in the wake of our insatiable need for material security, We can find ourselves out of touch with ourselves, driven by psychological forces that, if unchecked, do violence to our bodies and their legitimate needs. In short, we become ill, both as persons and nations. We talk casually about the absence of God in our lives and our society, but God is God and therefore, by definition, always present. It's we who are not sufficiently at home in our bodies to receive him. Sort of spiritual dyschronometria, our collective dyschronometria is making us ill, both as persons and nations, he says. And so this retro Sunday, uh, what I want to do is help us to locate ourselves properly in time so that our hearts, our minds, our souls, our bodies don't become ill with that spiritual dyschronometria. And so we don't miss out on what God is doing here and now in our time. 
just as a, a little aside, I think in, in recent years, the church generally has been rediscovering that one of the key tools we have to help us in this uh, is, uh, uh, and we, that we have at our disposal is in rooting ourselves in you know, where we are in the day and where we are in the year is the intentional cultivation of our habits and spiritual disciplines. And that through these, we can locate ourselves properly in time as children of God as individuals in our day-to-day lives. And I'm really excited that um, later on this term, we've got some, got some exciting things that we're going to do as a church to kind of dig into this a little bit deeper in a, in a really exciting way. But for now, I want to just put that aside. And I actually want to zoom right out and locate ourselves in the grand sweep of history, which the Bible talks about. Because fundamentally, what we believe about the future determines how we act in the present. And how we act in the present should be realistic about our past, and filled with hope for our future. Because as we'll see, God is inviting us now, in this moment, to join in with his work of making all things new. So where do we find ourselves in time? If we're going to try and map time in some way, which would obviously not be that easy to do, but if we were going to do it, where would we find ourselves? Well, there are lots of ways of doing it, obviously, but N.T. Wright great theologian. He has this really helpful analogy. Um, If we could get the little picture up, that'd be great. Where He has this uh, analogy where he says that all of history, as the Bible records it, can be likened to a play with five acts. The first act is creation, as recorded in the book of Genesis, where God creates the heavens and the earth and everything in it, and he tops it all off by creating humankind. And at that point, he rests and says, this is very good. And God dwells with his people. The second act is the fall, as recorded later on in Genesis, where God, in his infinite love, gives humanity the choice to follow his ways or not, rather than forcing us. And long story short, humanity decides to rebel against God. And so sin and death enter into the world. The third act is the story of the people of Israel, as recorded in the rest of the Old Testament, where God sets in motion his great rescue plan by blessing one family and nation of people in particular, to be a blessing to the rest of the world. But again, throughout the story, they get it wrong and they keep rebelling against God, just like in the second act. And so then comes the fourth act, where Jesus Christ, the the Son of God, God himself, steps into the play. And we're now living in the fifth act, in the light of that. Between the, the day where Jesus Uh, ascended back to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. And the Holy Spirit was sent, poured out on those apostles in the book of Acts. And we are now the beneficiaries of that. We're now the heirs of that. That that moment began the church. And we live in the moment between that moment where the Holy Spirit filled God's people and led to the birth of the church and the end of Act 5, which is laid out for us in our passage for today, Revelation, where Jesus will come again in glory. And a new heaven and a new earth will emerge. And so this is the point in time we find ourselves in. You are here somewhere. Obviously, I don't know exactly where. I'm not that good. Um, But we're kind of heading towards this time where all things will be made new. And so we find ourselves um, playing our parts, if you like, in Act 5 of this five-act play. Fundamentally, the church then, us lot, We're a bunch of people gathered around a message about a past event that has huge implications for our future. 
We speak about a past event. We gather around a past event, namely that Jesus of Nazareth, the one called the Messiah, was crucified and buried. But three days later, his tomb was found empty. He is risen, came the cries from those women and men and angels who saw the empty tomb. And because he is risen, everything has changed. Because of that past event, we are today a bunch of people with a hope-filled message about the future. That Jesus Christ will one day come again. And when he does, oh boy, it's going to be incredible. Our reading from Revelation 21, almost at the very end of the Bible, outlines this beautiful vision of what the future looks like. A new heaven and a new earth will emerge in some beautiful, mysterious, and powerful way. This heavenly city will descend and overlap with a renewed and redeemed earth. And in that place, God will once again dwell amongst his people. And we'll see him face to face. And he won't force us to become unfeeling automatons. He won't block up our tear ducts to, tear ducts to stop us from crying. Instead, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That's what the Bible says. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And I love that language. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. It's astonishingly intimate. I just want to say this. I love every single one of you, right? If I've not met you before, I love you. Sorry, that's awkward. I know on the first, first meeting, but I love you, right? I have the great joy of being your, your curate here and to join in with the team here. And if, if someone, if one of you comes down here later and I'm, I have the great privilege of praying for you and you're crying, I love you. I'm a very touchy-feely person. I'm not going to lie. But I'm going to hand you a tissue. I'm not going to wipe away your tears because that would be a bit weird, wouldn't it, right? But my little girl comes to me, or my little boy, with tears in their eyes. I'm going to scoop them up. I'm going to wipe the tears off of their face myself. That's my privilege as a dad. And if God is to wipe away every tear from our eyes, he will do so with all of the love and intimacy of a father embracing his children. That's what it means for him to dwell amongst his people. He will wipe away every tear from every eye. And there will be no need for mournful crying after that because we won't need to. We won't need to mourn anymore. Death and mourning and sin and pain will no longer be a thing because the brokenness, the sadness, and the deathliness of the old order of things will have passed away. And in its place, the Lord of lords and King of kings will sit on his throne and declare that he is making all things new. What we believe about the future, this future, determines how we act in the present. Because God is inviting us now, by the power of his Holy Spirit, to join in with that fifth act, to join in with his work of making all things new. To see the kingdom of heaven break out in the here and now, bit by bit, little by little, as we move towards all things being made new. Everything in the past, everything in this moment, everything in the future contains the potential to be made new. Every mistake you made, every grief we have had to journey through, every trauma we've processed, every horrible thing done to you, everything you said that you regretted, everything you said that you were really pleased you said, every argument you've ever had, every boring day at work, every joyous moment you've wanted to cling on to, every wedding you've rejoiced in, every newborn baby you held, 
Every time you've bought flowers for a friend just for the sheer delight of it. Every mundane moment you journeyed through with your family. Every creative endeavor that failed. Every dinner time you turned up for. Every kind word you said that wasn't heard. Every start of a friendship. Every moment you denied your own desires to look after an aging family member. Every moment when you put your child to bed and you have this ache of being excited to see who they're going to become. But wanting to cling on to who they are right now. All of it. All of it and so much more will be made new. All things will be made new. Not dismissed, not forgotten, not ignored. None of it is wasted. This world will be redeemed, not replaced. John 20 tells us that the the risen Jesus still bore the scars of the cross on his body. He said to Thomas, one of his disciples, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Just as Jesus left an empty tomb behind, one day we will leave the empty things of this world behind. But we won't leave this world behind. We will leave those empty things behind, but not forgotten. Jesus doesn't forget the tomb. Jesus doesn't forget the cross. But he moves forward from there to redeem and restore all things and invites us into it. God doesn't say he's going to make all new things. And just replace the old. But instead he he says he's going to make all things new. In the new heaven and the new earth, God won't just hit the reset button on our minds and on our universe. We won't just be unthinking robots who somehow have forgotten all of the challenges and grief we had to face in this life. It won't be wasted, friends. Instead, he'll make us new. He'll redeem us. He'll restore all things. When we enter into the new heaven and the new earth, God won't tell us to pull ourselves together. There won't be, you won't catch God telling you that big boys don't cry or big girls don't cry about the things we've experienced in this life. Instead, in the new heaven and the new earth, he will scoop up his children and wipe away every tear from our eyes. And he will restore and redeem and renew all things. What we sow with tears now the psalmist says, what we sow with tears will one day be reaped with shouts of joy. That's where we're going. That's what the Bible promises. But we're not there yet. And Jesus is really clear in the Gospels. Our job isn't to guess when that will happen, when that will be. Let God handle that. But if we believe, if what we believe about the future determines how we act in the present, then what we're called to now between that moment and this, is to join in with where we can see God at work, making all things new. We're called to look for the glimmers and gleams of hope bursting out in our midst. We're called to pay attention to the world around us and join in where we can see the kingdom of God breaking out in the here and now. Very wise man, I know, uh, once said that the world sees the future through the lens of the present. We're called to see the present through the lens of the future. That's right, I've quoted the vicar and the bishop in one talk. I've gone there, guys. Well done. Our culture sees the future through the lens of the present. Our world sees the future through the lens of the present. Whatever the issues we're experiencing in the present, the ideologies and messages in our culture today say that those issues will impact our understanding of where we're heading in the future. And often that can lead to a kind of short-termist thinking where we just make decisions based on the here and now without much thought for how it will impact the future. You know, carpe diem, seize the day, YOLO. (laughs) That's right, I went there. Is that retro yet? I don't know. Um, The global climate crisis, 
It's a heartbreaking example of this, this way of thinking, this short-termist way of thinking. Simply put, in the past, nobody thought about how the actions of the present would impact the future. And we see that kind of rhythm play out again and again in our culture. And so now that leads to an understanding where the future, it leads to an understanding of where the future has very little hope about it. Because there's a refusal to recognize or deal with the reality of the problems in our world. Because it feels like it's too late. And don't get me wrong, the, the, the church has been complicit in this by joining in and seeing the future through the lens of a hopeless present. If we think the new heaven and the new earth is a case of God just hitting a cosmic reset button and just binning off this planet, then why would we bother looking after it now? But that's not how the Bible puts it. He's making all things new. We're called to see the present through the lens of the future. Instead of a short-termist approach, we're called to approach our lives, our culture, our world, and all the problems contained within by living in the light of eternity. Instead of approaching the present with no hope for the future, we're called to live out the hope that comes from knowing we're heading towards that vision laid out in Revelation. That's where we're going. And if we really take the hope that Jesus offers us seriously, we won't indulge in, you know, weird little culture wars that that the world tries to suck us into. We'll follow the path of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, into caring for our culture instead. We're not here to moan and grumble about the world around us between now and eternity. Bay Church, we are here to bless the Bay. You know, Torquay used to be one of the richest places in the country. Brixham used to be the the busiest fishing port in the country. Paynton used to be a place where they had to build multiple new church buildings at one time, like this one, because they couldn't fit everybody into the parish church. But the story the culture around us tells itself as it looks to the future through the lens of the present is that this bay's best days are behind it. The church is dying. Housing crisis in the Bay is unmanageable. The care system can't keep up with the number of children that need to be fostered or adopted. Young people's lives are being ruined by drugs and and county lines. It looks beautiful here, but, but the way things are going, it's surely only a matter of time until even the tourists stop coming, right? But what if we're the people to say with kindness and bravery, no. Absolutely no way is this where the story of the Bay ends. Because if we place our hope in Jesus and the future the Holy Spirit is drawing us towards, we don't need to ignore our history or or be blasé about our problems, but we can embrace them and say God is making all things new. What if we're the people who approach things with an eternal mindset, with a message of hope? What if we believe that one day we might see every church in this bay full and thriving to the place that new churches have to be planted, And new buildings have to be built again for all those who want to worship the living God. Yeah, thanks. One person clapping. Amazing. I love it. What if we're the people who could proclaim hope in the lives of our young people so that the key aspiration for our teenagers isn't to just survive and escape the bay, but to grow to one day play their crucial part in seeing all things made new here? What if we're the people who adopt and foster children and offer them a loving family and a hope-filled future. It's appropriate that I'm crying in a talk that's about tears. What if that person you invite on Alpha 
has their life changed by an encounter with the living God and goes on to be the person that runs Alpha somewhere else or here in 30 years' time? What if, what if that person you invite on Alpha changes the world in the power of the Holy Spirit? What if in 60 years' time, I have this little dream that in 60 years' time, there's a grandparent bringing his grandkids to a light party or a baked ball and telling them the story of how they came to the first one, of how their family didn't have much when they were growing up. But there was this church, and they threw parties for free. And it was so fun and so generous and so kind that they caught something of the kingdom of God in that place, and it changed their life. I'm fine. Friends, what we believe about the future determines how we act in the present. So may we hold on to that hope we have for the future. May we be a people who live as though God is making all things new. May we trust in every dark moment, every joyous moment, and every moment in between that God himself will one day embrace his children and wipe away the tears from every one of our eyes. And so in this present moment, this new term, this day, may we be people who continue to wipe away the tears of the world around us. May we join in with God's work of making all things new. Amen? Amen. Let's stand.